Hey, this is Randy Robinson, and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it. All right, as Pastor Johnny already mentioned, today is Pentecost Sunday. And if you're not familiar with what that is, he already uh, took the intro to my sermon. Penta means 50. And Pentecost Sunday is celebrated 50 days after Easter Sunday, after the resurrection. Um, Again, essentially 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the early church. And you can read about the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. Um, Over the past few years, we've certainly done many sermons, multiple series on the subject of the Holy Spirit. And some of those intentionally fell on Pentecost Sunday. Um, However, if you've been around any time at all, you know, we don't always follow the holiday schedule for our Sunday topics. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that. We do it again occasionally, but it's not our rule to follow. And what that means for us practically is this. We don't always preach about love in February. Uh, We might, but we might not. You should just love people all the time, not just in February. Uh, We don't necessarily speak about freedom around July 4th, even though we think that's a great time to celebrate freedom. But we want you to be free all year. That's my mic (laughs) night. You might not get 10 ways to be a better dad on Father's Day. I always joke that's what Google is for. Uh, in November, we might not talk about being grateful. And we should be grateful. I just might, we might not talk about it around Thanksgiving. Um, and so that's just a heads up for those who were expecting a fiery message from the book of Acts chapter 2. Uh, I am passionate about the Holy Spirit and His work in our lives. One of our core values at Everyday Church is being Spirit-led. Uh, And I pray that the Spirit of God, I pray that it falls on this place and in our lives, but not just on Pentecost Sunday, but every Sunday. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit fills us to overflowing, not just on Sundays, but every day, every day. Not just so we can have goosebumps, but so we can be the hands and feet of Jesus. All right. Last week, we began a uh, new series called Deep Change. Um, which is really a continuation of our breakthrough theme for the year. I gave you some homework. I asked you to first spend some time in solitude, just you and God, and to ask the Holy Spirit in that moment of solitude to reveal areas that he wanted to heal and to bring deep change to. And then we alluded to the fact that it might not be easy to face things that he might reveal. And I said, pray for the courage to face whatever that he's revealing to you. Did anybody... Awesome. Two people. That's fantastic. Three people. Now some of you guys are just raising your hand just because. But uh, um, I find in my own life that when I intentionally slow down and I make time to listen for God's voice, that he will speak. And if you're not used to hearing his voice, I get it. That can sound kind of weird. I've never heard God audibly. Sometimes I'll have a word or a phrase that comes to my mind. And when that happens, I process it and contemplate those thoughts. I weigh them in Scripture and then determine what my next course of action will be. I mean, a lot of times it's not words or thoughts at all. It's just a peaceful presence that calms my soul. And so if nothing else, I feel like in those moments when I intentionally stop 
And I sense his presence like that. He's like, he's just letting me know, hey, I'm with you. Uh, sometimes I don't walk out with greater clarity. Sometimes I do. But it's just a moment to say, God, you know what I mean? Like I sense him. I know that he's there. That's what I said earlier. He's always here. He's always here. And I've grown up saying his presence is here like it wasn't here before. It's been here. But then there's just this heightened awareness where, oh, something is different in the room. Anyway, all right, let's keep moving. Last week we looked at the parable of the wise and foolish man. Uh, Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 46. We won't read both passages we read last week, but in Luke 46, I love how it starts. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And we talked about how this question is just as relevant today as it was 2,000 plus years ago. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? The word Lord here is a uh, it's referring to supremacy or to the owner or a person who has complete control. Why do you say, God, you have complete control of my life? Why do you say, God, you are supreme above all? And yet don't do the things that I say. Why do we call him Lord and not do what he says? Why do we call ourselves Christians, which means Christ-like or like Christ, and then act nothing like him? And then verse 47, he continues, As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. Jesus says, look, don't just listen to my words, do them. I mean, how many of you know that when Jesus tells us to do something, it's, it's not a suggestion? <laughs> Verse 48, he says, They are like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood came, the torrent struck the house, but could not shake it because it was well built. And we spent some time talking about construction piles. Piles are concrete or steel columns that are driven deep into the ground until they penetrate the rock underneath the surface. The higher the structure, the deeper the piles have to go. So a skyscraper that reads 75 to 100 stories, the piles need to go often as deep as 280 feet. So we have to go deep, deep change. Verse 49. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who builds his house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Remember, the house on the rock is a representation of God's way of doing things. And the house built on the sand is a representation of my way or our way of doing things. And Jesus is essentially saying, stop doing things your way. If we want our house to stand, we got to do things his way. Again, look at the language, verse 48. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And so for many of us, our lives are incapable of sustaining the houses that we're trying to build because our foundations are too shallow. And we said last week, look, we have plenty of information. We know more and have access to more information than any generation in history. We're a mile wide and an inch deep. And when the storm comes, we can't sustain it. But I feel strongly from the Lord that he is calling us to deep change, to leave behind the old ways of thinking and acting. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of facing the same battles over and over again. Now, in my opinion, this is just my experience. Some of you may have had a very different experience. But often charismatic Pentecostal circles have focused so much on the altar experience that we've neglected to teach people how to walk out their freedom or healing. And I don't say that to diminish or devalue what God does through prayer at an altar. I mean, I shared several weeks ago about the powerful things that I personally witnessed God do at an altar or through prayer. The altar is important. 
Getting, getting out of our seat and leaving our comfort zone to walk down an aisle to an altar for prayer is a huge step of faith. And God honors those steps. He meets us. So again, I'm not trying to devalue any of that. What I'm trying to say is that there's often more to it than that. The altar is only one side of the coin. I believe that those moments when we're in the presence of the Lord, He's revealed Himself, and we were talking about that earlier, just in this, this free moment of worship that we were having. Those are the moments that we experience breakthrough. It's finished in the spiritual realm, but then we have to walk it out, and that's what deep change is, is about. Now, last week, I made the statement that many of us have been Christ followers for 30 or 40 years, but instead of being a mature 30-year-old in the faith, we're actually a one-year-old 30 different times. And on some levels, if you're new to the Christian faith, I think going deep can be easier for you because you're not, you're, you're building your foundation now. You have the opportunity to do it the right way. But there are others of us who didn't do the proper groundwork. And now there's a structure on top of a faulty foundation. And for those of us in the latter category, we have some serious corrections that need to be made. I want to turn our attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, rightfully dubbed the love chapter. But I think there's some additional insight that we can glean here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 8, Paul writes this, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Now, we know that there's a futuristic tone to verse 10. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Right? There's some references to Christ's coming. We're not, we're not going to need tongues and prophecy and words of knowledge when Jesus returns. But there's also a principle here. He says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. See, when we were kids, when you were a kid, you have limited information. Right. Your perspective and your experience is limited. Just yesterday, Emmett, our four year old, asked me if Abraham Lincoln was from Star Wars. <laughs> he has limited information. But as we grow older and we mature, we gather more information and experience. And when this happens, the partial information that we used to use to make decisions disappears. Right, for example, you used to think that McDonald's, not Chicken McNuggets, were the, was the best chicken in the world. Anybody? That's, uh, that's because some of you still believe it's the best chicken in the world. But after your first taste of that juicy, luscious, savory, golden brown, fried to perfection Chick-fil-A nugget, you knew. <laughs> You're the, old, the old information you had was like, this is not it. This is perfect. I'm moving on. Paul says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away, 
I put the childish ways, childhood ways behind me. Here's the dilemma. When I said instead of, when I said instead of being a mature 30 years old in the faith or whatever age you are, that many of us are a one-year-old 30 different times, sadly, that's not hyperbole and it's not a joke. Our foundation isn't strong because our foundation is like that of a child. And so Paul says, when I became an adult, I stopped thinking and reasoning like a child. But many of us have carried inappropriate learned behaviors from childhood into adulthood. And part of the reason that we can't stop these repeated negative behaviors, patterns, habits, and sin is because our way of dealing with our issues was formed as a child. The way we cope or respond as an adult is often the same way we coped or responded as a child. Our thoughts, our views, our responses to money, stress, anger, racism, religion were often formed in childhood. That's why they call them the formative years. The things we experience from zero to eight years old deeply impact our formation. The studies show that childhood trauma and experiences can affect physical health, mental health. It can increase our risk of alcoholism and drug abuse. It can increase our risk of developing depression and suicide. It can put you at a higher risk of heart disease, lung disease, cancer, and liver disease. It can make you more likely to take up smoking and experience obesity. And maybe you're saying, what does any of this have to do with Scripture? It has everything to do with Scripture. Don't allow our culture to pit Christianity against science. As one writer put it, there's no conflict between Christianity and experimental science. This is because the Christian worldview, which believes that God created the world with natural laws and orderliness, is what undergirds the entire scientific enterprise. Now look, I'm aware that there are conflicts in the belief systems within Christianity and the world of science. I mean, I'm not trying to go down that road. That's content for another message. What I'm saying is, is the fact that our childhood experience, uh, experiences affect us as adults is not some made up weird Swami guru idea. We see clear examples of that in scripture, which we will get to as well as we see it in the science and medical fields. Listen to the words of Mike Foster in his book, uh, from his book, The Seven Primal Questions, a book I would highly recommend to anybody. It says this, quote, Research shows that a child's brain develops connections faster in the first five years than any other time in their lives. It is in this early development that the foundations for identity, behavior, and beliefs about life are laid down. Whether your caretakers knew it or not, they had an incredible influence on your concepts of love, safety, and belonging. The effect is so strong that it ends up defining the way you see and experience life as an adult. Need more proof? A recent study followed up on elementary school students from the 1960s. And they discovered that their personalities remained mostly unchanged from what their teachers recorded about them decades earlier. Let me give you one more scientific quote and then we're going to move on. Neuroplasticity. Anybody ever heard of that? It refers to the brain's ability to learn new things. At a young age, the plasticity is high, but as you age, it's not quite as automatic. And this explains why the things you learned as a child are so hard to shake because you pick them up at your most receptive time 
And you must unlearn them when your mind is more rigid. Um, I want us to think about our minds as a kid being like clay. The formidable years, the zero to eight, are like our time on the potter's wheel. And when the clay is on the potter's wheel, it's moldable. You can shape it. You can stretch it. You can smash it. You can do all kinds of things with it when it's on the wheel. But when it comes off the wheel, it's placed then in an oven. And the clay, the clay maintains its flexibility until you cure it in the oven. Meaning that you can shape it and reshape it. You can do whatever you want to it as long as it hasn't been put in the oven. It hasn't been cured. But after your clay goes into the oven, after it's baked, it's, it'll maintain its exact shape and color as it hardens. So if the formidable years are like the clay being on the potter's wheel, moldable, our life experience after the formidable years, have I been saying that wrong the whole time? Formidable. Our life experience after the formidable years is more like the oven. And that leads us to adulthood. Where we come out of the oven hardened and rigid and brittle, easily broken, our belief systems, our coping mechanisms, our identities, etc., are now a permanent part of us. And this is why it's so difficult to change. In his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Pete Scazzaro describes what he calls internal commandments. And these commandments are behavioral patterns that are hardwired into our brains and into our DNA from childhood. Some of them are spoken and explicit, but most of them are unspoken. And what I mean by that is this. There probably wasn't a family meeting call that said, this is how we will respond to these situations or to these topics. When this happens, we do X, Y, or Z. There are moments where you're telling your kids that, right? You're teaching them about things. You're coaching them. But for the most part, these things are internal commandments that we observed and unintentionally adopted as our own commandments. Let me give you some examples again of mostly unspoken commandments that we take from our families. See if you can relate to any of these. Money. And we might have some unspoken rules in the family that say money is the best source of security. It may not have been spoken to you, but that may be how you live your life at this point. Or the more money you have, the more important you are. Or make lots of money to prove that you made it. What about conflict? How do we deal with conflict? Avoid conflict at all costs. I don't like conflict. I prefer to avoid it. Don't don't get people mad at you. So we walk around on eggshells like just, just, you know what I'm saying? Or maybe loud, angry, constant fighting. That's normal in your house. You grew up in a house, it's just, you're not, they're not even mad at each other. It's just like, ah! That's what it was like at Carmen's house. Hey, what are you doing? Get over here. You're little stupid. I think it's still like that at Carmen's house. And all the Cerulees said, amen. (laughs) Unspoken commandments. Sex. Sex is not to be spoken about openly. Or maybe men can be promiscuous, but women must be monogamous or must not be. 
Sexuality and marriage will come easily. It's these thoughts, these things that we, again, nobody's sitting down and having these meetings with you. It's just things that you perceive, you adapt, and you adopt as your internal commandments. What about grief and loss? Sadness is a sign of weakness. You're not allowed to be depressed, or you get over losses quickly and then move on. What about the way we express anger? There's 10 of these, in case you're wondering how far we got to go. We're not number five. The 10, the 10 internal commandments. Anger is dangerous and bad. Or explode in anger to make a point. Some of you grew up in families like that. Like things are going or whatever, and dad or mom's just like, Poof, and then the explosion happens, and you're like, got it. I got the point. You got it. Or sarcasm is an acceptable way to release anger. Number six, what about family? You owe your parents for all that they've done for you. Or don't speak of your family's dirty laundry in public. Or duty to family and culture comes before everything else. Number seven, relationships. Don't trust people, they'll let you down. I mean, probably, I mean, some, some people have experienced that where someone sat them down and said, look, don't trust people. But for a lot of us, we just witnessed that and then we adopted that as part of our internal commandments and we walk through life afraid to have relationships with people and relationships with God because I've been let down so many times or they will, the fear of letting people, people letting me down. Or nobody will ever hurt me again. Or I don't, we don't show vulnerability in my family. We don't, we don't do that. Three more. Number eight, attitudes toward different cultures. Only be friends with people who are like you. Do not marry a person of another race or culture. Certain cultures or races are not as good as mine. Number nine, success. Success looks like getting into the best schools or it looks like making lots of money. Success looks like getting married, having kids. Number 10, feeling Feelings and emotions. You're not allowed to have certain feelings. Your feelings are not important. Reacting with your feelings without thinking, it's fine. It's okay. It's just what we do. Again, maybe no one sat down with you and said, look, sadness is a sign of weakness. But the culture and the way that you were treated whenever you felt sad said to you, you're weak if you show sadness. And combine that with a home or a culture that exemplified that your feelings aren't important or you're not allowed to have or express your feelings. And now you're living a life as an adult that's emotionally unavailable to your spouse and family. And in doing so, you're unintentionally reinforcing the same unspoken commandments to your own children. We could easily add to the list. What messages did we receive about parenting? about gender roles, about marriage, singleness, physical affection and touch. How did our families view God, other churches, other faiths? Listen, it is essential that we reflect on the messages that were handed down to us. And then we submit those commandments to the Lord, to Jesus and to his word. Because as we came into adulthood and we left our families of origin behind, and some of our young adults are going to be doing that soon in the next few years. But as we began to blaze our own path, it becomes similar to the scenario of the ancient Israelite nation when they had been in bondage for 400 plus years. When God rescued them, they didn't know any other culture. 
All they had known was life in Egypt as slaves. And even though they were now free, and even though they had left Egypt physically, a great deal of Egyptian culture and thinking remained in them. And this is often like our walk with Jesus. We may intend to be Christ followers, but in reality, we're still following the unspoken commandments and rules we internalized as kids. And Paul says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. The clay of our lives has become hardened and rigid and no longer moldable. Here we echo the words of the ancient prophet Isaiah when he said, Yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. We must be willing to allow the potter to reshape us. And for those who have already been baked, and I don't mean recreationally, <laughs> for those that have already, I got more jokes, but Katie told me not to tell that one, but I couldn't help it. Now I got more. It feels like I should just keep, but we're just going to leave it. Make up your own follow-ups, because I know you got them. For those of us who have been already in the oven, it's going to be a painful process. Look, there's a lot in this message. Honestly, it feels incomplete. And even bringing messages like this, I told Katie, I feel this tension and this conflict because I'm giving you like a lot of scientific information and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, but this is important if we're going to experience deep change. My hope is that each week through this series that there will be more clarity and more action steps. So let me recap where we are so far. We must be willing to dig deep into the foundation. Some of us will have to reset or relay our foundation. And that's going to be painful. But if we're only willing to stay at ground level, the deep change cannot and will not come. Until you and I are willing to dig deep and see what's in there. And some of us have been covering up stuff for, for a very long time. It might not even be that there's a lot of stuff down there. It might just be that it's just so deep and there's so much on top of it that you can't even. Some of you, there may be people in the room right now that are thinking about things that, are, that have happened in your life. And you're like, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to revisit that. I know it was painful. I put it under the blood. I've done whatever, you know, right? all the things. And God, God redeems our spirits, but our souls, our minds have to be renewed. And part of the deep change process is going deep enough to find out what's in there so that I can, again, dig it up, sh let the light of the word of God shine on it and say, God, is this of you? Because if this is not of you, then I need to get rid of it. What is this heartache right here? What is this broken piece of me? I need Jesus. I need you to come and bring healing here. If we're not willing to go deep, the deep change cannot and will not come. Part of digging deep is going back to our families of origin. 
In order to experience deep change, we're going to have to submit our childish ways of dealing with things to God. I mean, some of you can think of people who always, every time something happens, it's like, man, he's so childish. Yeah, that's, that's, that's 100% accurate. We all are. We're all carrying things from childhood into, we've carried it into adulthood. And then we just, when we get triggered, we just go right back to that seven-year-old little kid that used to do X, Y, or Z. Or that seven-year-old kid who was in his formidable years and needed to feel love and he couldn't feel love. And now he just acts like a, a maniac all the time and just trying to get attention. I just need you to love me. I need you to love me. You're like, God, he just acts like a little kid. Yeah, because there was a need in his life when he was seven that wasn't met. And now it's all buried down there and he doesn't know what to do with it or she doesn't know what to do with it. I'm telling you that part of deep change is Jesus going into those places and saying, I've loved you from the beginning. We must be willing to dig deep into our foundation. Going back to our families of origin is part of that. Again, when I say childish, I'm talking about those unspoken commandments and rules that are, have become part of our DNA. And I gave us several examples of unspoken commandments and scripts from our families that have formed us. I can't tell you what yours are. But I can say that we all have them. But the great news of Christianity is that our families of origin do not determine our future. God does. To use the language of the New Testament, we are adopted into the family of God. But sadly, if we look deep below the surface of our lives, many of us are not doing anything fundamentally different than what our families did. George Santana is quoted as saying, those who cannot learn from the past are doomed to repeat it. We must learn from our past. It's time to stop the cycles that have haunted our families for generations. It's time that we grow up in the way that we think. Let me give you some homework for this week. We're going to wrap this up. Again, I want you to find some solitude, just you and God. I don't know where that is. I don't know what it looks like. It's different for every person, depending on your season of life. You have four and five-year-olds knocking on the door every time you close it. Like then you got you to step out of the house and get in the car and say, just watch the kids for 10 minutes. I'm going to be with Jesus. Like you, you got to figure out a way to. I don't know what it looks like for you, but I'm asking you to find some intentional moments of solitude. Just you and God. And ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the unhealthy commandments or the unspoken rules that you have carried from childhood into adulthood. These are our ways of doing things, our coping mechanisms, our belief systems. This is the second one, and this is gonna this is gonna require some vulnerability. And it can be risky depending on how your family life is at home. But involve your spouse or a sibling or a longtime close friend and ask them if they see any unspoken rules or commandments that are negatively affecting your walk with Christ and your family. Again, that's, I mean, Katie and I do that sometimes. And I would say this, 
you know, there are times where she said, you're acting this way or that way or whatever. And there are things that maybe we, we're trying to correct that we don't, you know, and both of our parents, are, you know, our parents attend here. My mom's probably listening right now. Hey, mom, love you. Uh, she's in Kentucky visiting family. And so I, you know, I'm trying to be careful with what I say, but there are things that our parents, that we know that there are things that have handed down. I know that I act like my dad in certain ways. I act like my mom in certain ways. And there are things that Katie and I have talked about that I, we said, I don't, I don't want to do this, X, Y, or Z. And so there are times she's like, hey, you're, you're kind of doing it. You're acting like, we'll call it X, Y, and Z because... <laughs> The other day, I said something to her. I was like, you're acting like X, Y, or Z. And she's from a blended family, so there's four people to choose from, so you could never know who it is. <clears throat> oh, there's a 25% chance you could guess it, right? Because there's only four. Uh, but I was like, hey, you, you know. And she's like, oh, yeah, thanks. I don't want to do that. But I can say this, because we've been together 12 years now. In the beginning, there were times when I remember early in our relationship when she would say, hey, you're acting like X, Y, or Z, or you're doing this, or this is coming out of you. And I was deeply offended. I, I, I couldn't handle it. Do you remember any of that? <laughs> You're like, yeah, it was just last week, you dummy. <laughs> but early in our relationship, because I was so broken and I was so wounded and I was so raw, anytime somebody tiptoed at any of that, I just went straight back into my childhood behaviors. It was hurting. And it, and so she, if she said, hey, I, you're acting like whatever, I couldn't receive it. Listen, I'm just telling you that to say, look, if, if you're going to open up to your spouse and your siblings or whatever about this, it's, it's, it's really a point of vulnerability. Now we can laugh about it and joke about it and we can be serious about it. There's a whole thing, but it's been a very long time, I think, since either of us has said something in regards to this topic that offended the other one because of the relationship that we have. So I'm, I'm just saying... If you're going to find somebody to be accountable to that knows you deeply, I mean, it could trigger you. You need to go into that conversation saying, I want to be open. Can you help me? What do you see? And look, just practically speaking, if it gets too hot in the room, like you can't just say, you know what? I need to, I need to revisit this later. I need to process what we've said so far. Like I only told you one thing. That's it. It's all I can process. <laughs> but, but give yourself permission to take a break. Say, okay. Take it to the Lord. Whatever it is. And look, if your spouse comes to you and says, hey, I want you to do whatever. Don't, don't hit him over the head. Yeah, here we go. I've been waiting to tell you. Bless God. You, you start yelling like Carmen. It's like his house is like... <laughs> Hey, what is the matter with? I told you. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> God, I thank you, God, that even in the moments of, of serious topics that we can laugh about things. And God, Scripture says that laughter is like a good medicine. And on behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.